You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Morello. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Apologize for getting going a couple minutes late. Had a couple issues on this side of the pond. But uh, but we are here. You are here. And uh, my good friend and co-host, Alex Varallo, is with us. Alex, how you doing, buddy? Well, it seems we may be having some further difficulties. Alex, can you hear me? All right, so this may uh this may cause some some further issues. Let's see if uh I'm going to see if we can get Alex going here. Let's see here. Hello? Alex, you there? Glenn, can you hear me? Hey, I got you now, Alex. All right, there we go, back on track. Okay, yeah, I don't know what the heck happened there. I was uh, trying uh, trying to log in from a different laptop this evening since, uh, again, we're, we're still working back and forth with Blog Talk with some of the audio issues there. Uh, they said they have some people. Uh, we've explained what's happening. They said they have some people working on it. That was earlier last week. Haven't heard back. Thought I'd try a different laptop, and uh, it was not cooperating with Blog Talk. And then once I tried to log, but anyway, who cares? We're here. We're here. Alex, last week we discussed the offense and what this team should do in free agency. Or uh, on the offensive side of the ball, this week we're going to talk a little bit about defense. Um, first, one thing I wanted to uh, talk about as well, and we'll, we'll actually cover this first because I think this is interesting. I think this could be good for the Jets. Um. I we've both tweeted out a few times. Again, we'll, we'll start off here on the offense just because this is uh, Daniel, Daniel Jeremiah, uh, one of the more respected, uh, you know, draft analysts out there. Put out his first mock this week, and listen, we, free agency and all this stuff changes where people mock this guy, that guy, the other guy. But I think the the general consensus among Jets fans is that left tackle has to be the first pick for the Jets. Um, You'd mentioned Makai Becton a few weeks ago. I mentioned him not long after that. I tweeted out, what, a week and a half or so ago that I thought he was a guy who could work his way into the conversation at 11. With a, with a, because he's one of those guys, Alex. You watch Makai Becton, and he's so big and so dominant. Just at his size, what are they they're saying? He's like 6'7", 370. You're just like, is he really moving as well as it looks like he's moving? Because you can't believe he's moving that well. So I've kind yep. of said... When they just get when it's just him and some stopwatches, and you know whether he's doing you know once he's doing his agility drills, if they if his agility numbers turn out as well as they look on on film, the guy's easily a, a, an early first round pick. 
And that was the point I made about a week and a half ago. I said he could make in, make his way into the conversation at 11 with a strong pre-draft process. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah has him going four overall. Uh, the first tackle off the board, which, again, if if, if the guy is as – I mean, you, I, it, you know, we, we to some degree take it with a grain of salt. But you, you see him taking other college players and using, like, one hand to just toss them aside. It almost looks like a – you know, he almost looks like a, a, a D1 player playing at the D3 level. So, if that's something if that like a matador, matador, you know, just if, with one arm behind his back, kind of just using that one hand as a weapon and just dismissing guys with ease. And and they're not little they're not little edge defenders either. He, he's tossing big bodies. Uh, very very yeah. powerful player. Yeah. So this guy this guy could go in the top ten, and. That's basically the scenario Daniel Jeremiah has playing out is that the Jets lose out on all four tackles by by sitting at 11. Um, so my first question to you, Alex, is if you're the Jets, do you explore a trade to move up two spots and jump the Cleveland Browns? Because people feel like the Browns are going to take a left tackle, and there is a chance if they take a tackle at 10, that'll be the last of the of the three, now four, big tackles. Um, if, if you're willing to jump up that, that one spot or two spots from 11 to 9, what are you willing to pay to do it? And how do you feel about uh, Jeremiah saying if none of the tackles are there, the Jets are going to go defense? And he's got them going with, uh, with Clavion Chase on from, from LSU. Yeah, um, it seems like the LSU edge defender is getting um, some more traction as the weeks go by. Um, but to go to the first part of the question, would I be willing to – you know, possibly give up another premium pick to move up a couple spots. Um, you know, if we were in a quarterback needing situation and, you know, let's just say like a Tua or Justin Herbert were still on the board, I could justify that. Um, I'm not sure. It, and it's really interesting because the consensus with Andrew Thomas from Georgia was flat out the number one top three pick. There's no way that uh, he would slide by Washington or, uh, Detroit, and a lot of people seem to to hear a network of. Yeah, hello, can you hear me? Alex, you there? We may have dropped yeah. you again. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to power through it. Uh, if we're still having some more technical difficulties here, I but, think we got uh, you back, it does Alex. Definitely seem uh, like he's getting Mackay Beckton's getting a lot more traction, and. Uh, I'm just curious on, on what players like Andrew Thomas has done um, to slide out the side of the top 10 or outside the top five range. So it'll be interesting um, how these guys, you know, grade out as the combine goes through. I think free agency is going to change a lot of the board as teams sign free agents and kind of fill in positions of need that should probably make certain adjustments on where certain players might fall uh, come draft day. I wouldn't be, uh, willing to give up too many draft picks to move up only a couple spots. Uh, so I'd rather sit tight and see how the board falls to us uh, because, you know, at this point in time, not having done the free agency process, I think a lot of things can change between now and April. Yeah, I think that's one thing that Jeremiah has to uh, – I mean, of course, you know, any, anyone who's put a, putting a mock together right now is doing so without knowing uh, what moves they're going to make. But this does – I'm sure we had this conversation on the air, Alex um, – I'd be surprised if I hadn't brought it up. 
But it, it kind of, to me, when I look at that, when I see a mock draft where, and not, not you know, this is before Daniel Jeremiah had this scenario unfold. Um, I did that article saying, if I'm the Jets, I bring Kelvin Beecham back. And and that's the exact reason. I, you know, I, yep. I've seen some Jets fans agree. I've seen some disagree. But, I mean, I, I can't see being I can't I wouldn't be happy if the Jets were going into next year with a second round left tackle because um, I listen it's Sam Dalton I want a blue chip day one starter at left tackle in round one or I want at least a, a solid veteran who has shown that he's not going to get blown up um, and he's you know we're not going to get Wayne Hunter at left tackle. You know, or right. you know that type that type of player. So when, as I've said all along, I think you bring Beecham back on a two year deal, one year if he'll take it, one or two year deal for Beecham, and if if one of the tackles falls, you still take him at eleven, and then you let that tackle play either right tackle or whichever guard spot he he fits better for his rookie year. And then you let Beecham walk after next season, whether it's a one-year deal or a two-year, and you cut him, whatever it takes. And then you're in, then you're in position to, to still have that franchise left tackle. But to say, it, it, put it this way: if you're Joe Douglas, year one as a GM, and you go into year two without at least a solid left tackle, that you're not off to a great start. You you can't go into year two. And listen, there are some intriguing guys. Don't get me wrong. That who who may very well turn out to be starting players, um, but are you willing to go into year two as a GM with your franchise quarterback and and have him have his blind side being protected by a second round guy? And I feel like I feel like these second round tackles are kind of like you know I said a a, a couple years ago I thought Bob was using uh, the the Jets play by play guy radio guy. He put it best. He was talking about quarterbacks, but I feel like it applies to left tackles as well. Basically said, any quarterback taken outside of round one is a project. Because if you're a quarterback coming out of college and you're not viewed as a project, you're not going to the second round. You're a first-round pick. And the same goes for tackle. If you are a left tackle that NFL teams feel can start from day one, you're a first-round pick. So if if you're if you're going a little deeper, and you're getting say an Austin Jackson from USC, or Lucas Nyang from from TCU, you know these guys might be able to play. Like Josh Jones, who's supposedly having a nice week at mobile and down in mobile. Yep. You know guys like guys like this, and maybe they pan out. I'm I'm just saying I don't want to be the GM who has to explain to my my boss, my owner, that the reason why the quarterback is either hurt or still getting beat up on every play is because I took it. You know, I've said it a million times, Kelvin Beecham, average left tackle. But I don't want to say to my owner, well, that average left tackle we had, we let him walk and replaced him with a huge question mark who turns out isn't very good right now. Um, versus being able to say, hey, look, we brought Beecham back and Tristan Wirfs fell into our laps. So now we're going to play whoever fits best in whatever spot. I heard people say you play Beecham on the right side. I'm not a big fan of that. I want a road grader on the right side. That's not Kelvin Beecham's game. Um, wouldn't be the end of the world, but nor would it be ideal. But um, I would bring Beecham back and uh, and then still try to get a left tackle in round one. 
if that left tackle isn't there, that's where, you know, everyone's talking about whether or not you go chase on. And I think, I think he, again, he's a player who has to be in the conversation because he's an elite player. He's a, he plays at a critical position, potentially elite player. And it, it, it fills a huge need for this team. But, but anyway, we're, we're going to move on. I just, I just wanted to touch on that briefly. The, the, the talk of there now being four tackles who were, you know, worthy of going in the top 10. So we're, we're going to move yeah, on to the defensive to side. Throw out no, go ahead, conversations And, you know, for everyone that might be a little reactionary to these mock drafts, it's, it's still early in the process. So um, take it easy on, on some of these analysts that, that, you know, do this for a living because <laughs> I see a lot of yeah, these guys but, and it, it, it's still, uh, uh, get chewed out and, you know, this is where they this is where they see it year to date when they look at this roster. So, um, you know, a lot can still change, like I said. But you know, let's just keep our expectations and our reactions to a dull roar. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's fun to watch already. You know, um, things I've read and heard from from former GMs in the past is that, you know, once once the the college season ends. That you'd kind of you'd be surprised how little teams' boards change during the draft process. You know, we always hear this guy is falling and this guy is climbing. And teams are taking this guy and this guy off their board, and all these sort of dramatic, uh, you know, guesses basically. And we, I'm I'm just as guilty of it as anyone. I say it all the time. This guy's climbing boards. That guy's fall. Like we know. Like any of us are in, you know, 14 different war rooms and we can give an analysis of which players are climbing and dropping. Um, you know, the, as I as I said, there are guys, there are GMs, former GMs and who, whose books I've read, whose interviews you hear. And they say, look, there's some minor tweaking as the draft gets closer and closer, um, as medicals come back, as interviews come back. But for the most part, you know, with the exception of very few players – Boards don't change a whole a great deal. Now, if, if and when they do, I would you know you would have to imagine it's the coming weeks when they will, because you're going to see guys who aren't, you know, who you haven't had a chance to watch up close, and that's why I'm 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 really looking forward to the Senior Bowl. But uh, but be- before we go any further with that, let's let's jump in on this free agency, how the Jets should approach it, and Alex, I don't know if you saw, I tweeted out the other day. You know the Jets are are projected to have eighty million in cap space, but really in today's NFL, how many how many marquee like big name, I'm talking fourteen fifteen million a year plus players can you go out and get? You can, you know you can't say okay well eighty divided by fifteen yeah we can get this many, like it doesn't work that way. You know you you still have to sign the the mid level and lower level guys to fill out your fifty three. You still have to leave yourself some breathing room during the season, which teams tend to leave themselves five, seven million as a worst case scenario. You have to consider the extending the at what point do you entertain the possibility of extending Jamal Adams? Like if you're planning on doing that this offseason, that's going to impact how many marquee players you can go after. I don't see the Jets being able to sign more than three marquee guys. Um, again, I'm talking, you know, if you're going to say Yannick Ngikwe and, and, and Brandon Scherf, and Jack Conklin. Like that right there is more than half of your cap space. If you add those three yep. guys, you're looking at about 50 million of 80. And that's three players. And that money and then and, and then say you want 
say you want to extend Jamal Adams. What's he making? Eight million right now? Nine million somewhere in that neighborhood? And you figure he's going to bump up to fifteen? That's another six. So three free agents and an extension for your best player, and you're well over half of your money. And you got to you. you I, I I don't have the number in front of you. How many guys they have under contract? But I know they have quite a few free agents. So th- these these things where I see people say, "Bring back Robbie, bring back Jenkins, sign and Geekway, sign sign Conklin," I'm like I'm like you're four names in, and the money's already gone. <laughs> like slow down. Yeah. You know, slow it down. So that's what we're trying to do here with this. Uh, that's and why then last give week, Jamal Adams a monstrous contract extension on top of that, and. Right. I guess what we'll do is just punt on the draft and trade all our draft picks for 2021. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, like, that's, that's uh, not going to work out. Yeah, basically, that's that's why last week I'm trying to think. I think I think the only big name guy. I could be wrong. Last week when we did the offense, I think Conklin was the only huge contract I was I was uh, uh, endorsing. Um, and, and again, not to say there aren't other guys I would I would go after, but I think there are quality players that can be had for, for, you know, under that, that elite threshold that could, that could bring in and help this team. But anyway, so, so getting, getting to work on the defense, Alex, uh, for me personally, I'll, I'll just say this right now on the D line. I don't think I would spend a penny. Keep the guys you have, um, grab some undrafted free agents to, to, to audition come training camp. But as far as that line of, of uh, Quinn and Williams, Henry Anderson, McClendon, Foley Fatakasi, um, you know Phillips is a guy we saw a lot who looked really good last year. I just I I think there's enough there that if I mean I guess I shouldn't say I wouldn't spend a penny, but I I wouldn't I wouldn't bring in anyone for any anything more than sort of vet minimum one two million a year depth player, um, and that's if if I would even go that far. Um, what what are your thoughts on the D line heading into free agency? Um, and you know, there's a couple guys that that we brought in that actually got injured and and we didn't get to see. And, and one of them is and um, I want to make sure I have it right here because I have Franklin in my head. Um, John Franklin Myers. Frank. Yes, there we go. Yeah, he, he was a guy. You know, excited we to were see. talked about you know, that he would be somebody that might be, you know, interior or defensive end and a rotational guy. Um, you know, just like the guys that you had already mentioned, um, those players were good enough to be in the top five against the run. Um, and, and then that's with a cast of, you know, some UDFAs and, and some third and fourth and uh, string outside linebackers. So uh, I'm with you on that one. I, I think if it's not broke, um, you know, there's no need to try to fix it. Um, I think we can just roll with, you know, the interior trench guys that we have defensively. And uh, we should be targeting, you know, the exterior positions like edge, um, outside linebacker, and cornerback. I think those are the the top three needs. And, you know, like you said, with the situation that we're going to have with the cap, we're going to have to make some tough cuts um, in order to get to that 80 million range. And then we're either going to have to try to bargain shop with some mid-level guys, or like you said, you get two, possibly three big signings, and then that leaves a lot of of expectations and pressure going into the draft process. So yeah, yeah and and I, I should clarify, I wouldn't I, any more money there. Yeah, I know. I said Yannick Ngakwe, and then I said I wouldn't spend big on the D line. To me, I, I view him as as a guy who I would I would want to see him coming off the edge, standing up, 
Um, and he, he would be he would play both. You'd see him lining up. Uh, you'd see him with his hand in the dirt. You'd also see him standing up in a two point stance. I would imagine under Greg Williams. So yeah, he's you know he, he lists as a D end, but uh, I'm doing it more as an support track. His market value showing around seventeen million. So that's as yeah. a premium as you get. Yeah, and I would I would I would think that uh I, I would think fifteen million is the floor, and I think you know again because players even though he's coming off a down year by his standards, players like him, players that play that position, don't tend to hit free agency, and so and that's that's where it gets interesting. Yeah, I mean the the guy could get twenty million, you know wh- whether whether people like it or not, it's it's about supply and demand, and when you're talking about guys who can get to the quarterback. That that's that's kind of the ballpark you're in, you know. Watch me <clears throat> watching the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks. We're gonna we're gonna see Chris Jones, another guy. He's a guy who's pro- he'll probably be in that twenty million range. So that that's the uh, the price of doing business, and whether you know that that is where it's gonna be interesting to see where Joe Douglas chooses to allocate his money. Um, you know, is, is he a guy who says, you know what, I'm gonna save my the 17 million or 19 or 20 million I would have to spend on an edge guy. And I'm going to, I, I think I can find an edge guy in the third round or in the, or in the fourth round or, or somewhere in there, you know, there are, you know, as we'll kind of do the same thing we did th- last week with, with, with draft stuff, like kind of throw out some names, but we're not going to, we're not going to commit to, we're not doing like mock drafts and, and things like that at this point. But, but there are players who you would have to imagine, you know, the the guy to me right now who who's the most interesting player um in terms of edge guys is Alex Highsmith. Cuz this is a guy out of Charlotte, small school guy who some people view as a sort of diamond in the rough, as a guy who's got enough get off that he's going to work himself into the conversation as a as a premium pick, uh, you know, second third rounder. So I look at someone like that and I'm like, is he a guy you can get in in the third round? Um Joshua Uche from Michigan is a guy that I like who could be in there around two or three. So is Joe Douglas, you know, does he bet on himself and say, forget spending 17 million, 18 million. I'll, I'll find a guy. I'll find someone in round three who can get us nine or 10 sacks. So it'll be interesting, but, but the money's going to get spent somewhere. And I think, so we both agree, Alex, basically defensive end uh, or defensive line, I should say uh, tread lightly, don't you know if you can get a, a uh, an edge slash outside linebacker slash defensive end who can get to the quarterback, then that's fine. But uh, we don't need any more sort of three four end or 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 you know I don't want Jadavion Clowney. I don't for his price tag and his production and his injury history. I'm not interested. I don't want Dante Fowler. He's been far too inconsistent. Um and and the, for the money he's going to command, no thank you. But but in terms of linebackers, Alex, uh, getting to the second level of that defense. Inside, outside, um, who do you like? Where would you be willing to spend? Uh, yeah, so I think one of the better plans that the Jets might have um, as far as trying to get someone that's in that mid-tier range that wouldn't be kind of Chris Jones or Ngakwe kind of money um, would obviously be to bring back Jordan Jenkins. Um you know that he's going to be solid against the run. Um, like you had mentioned, he's an effort guy that just continues to, you know, get that motor rolling and get after the quarterback and, and sometimes, you know, is a benefactor of, of solid coverage. 
um, not someone that uh, has collectively every season gotten 10-plus sacks every year. I feel that with his injuries this year, he could have flirted with 10, but I feel that he might be uh, one of the best options because if you're going to go out and, and target guys, like you said, like Fowler um, or Clowney, um, you know, Chris Jones, his market value is showing at $19 million. Sport Track is um, expecting somewhere around a $95 million deal on five years. Um, the Jets are in no way in that shape to try to spend that kind of money uh, on an edge player. So I think that Jordan Jenkins would be your first big plan that you would want to do. Um, I have always been a fan of Dante Fowler. I'm not sure about how his coverage skills are, but he, this year he made around $12 million. So that would probably be like the most that I would be willing to spend if I'm going to spend on the outside uh, linebacker kind of edge position. Um, I'd like to be closer to that $10 million range, but then again, you're probably giving up a lot of talent. Because um, I think with his age being at 25, 26 years old, a guy like Fowler would definitely work. Um, you know, and then there's other, you know, kind of in-betweeners, um, which may be more considered uh, a defensive end, like a Shaq Lawson, somebody like that. But more or less is I, I would try to find somebody, you know, in their mid-20s uh, that will keep you honest in the run game and, and obviously be that potential double-digit sack type of player. Uh, I don't think that in the first or second round we have the position to get like a Chase Young um, and then everybody after that, it's big question marks. So, you know, even the Clavon Chase on kid, uh, you know, I put this stat out there the other day, um, out of 60 tackles he had last season, 20 of them were behind the line of scrimmage. Um, he only had six and a half sacks, but he had 13 and a half tackles for the lo- uh, for a loss. So he's clearly doing things disruptive in the backfield. Um, and, and, all teams kind of consider the edge position like quarterbacks where it's very hard to find that franchise guy. Um, and that's why you always see them going so early because teams are willing to, to take the potential risk um, to find that kind of player. Uh, so for me personally, um, I know it would seem like, you know, if you're going to penny pinch, then you're not going to get a premier player, but where the jets are currently at um, that might be, the type of player that you would want to go to. Um, You know, another player that came to mind that had a phenomenal year and um, he might've put himself outside the range where the Jets would feel comfortable. Um, Maybe even a Shaquille Barrett. Um, I know that Todd Bowles wanted to bring this guy in um, and he finally got his hands on him and uh, he really turned him loose this year. Uh, So he might be looking maybe in that 13 to 14 million range as well. Uh, But for a guy that, you know, completely broke out and had himself 19 and a half sacks this year. And yeah, prior Bruce, to that, Bruce Arians, than five in a season. So yeah, Bruce Arians was already asked about him. And, it's worth the spending. Yeah. Bruce Arians has already was asked about that after, uh, after the season ended, what, you know, what the plan was for him. And Bruce Arians just said flat out, that guy's not going anywhere. So I think, well, uh, I, think pl- like I think the plan, I think the plan in Tampa Bay is just to, slap him with the franchise tag if necessary, but he is not a guy who I think will be, will be seeing free agency. But yeah, he, he was a guy, honestly, I, I don't want to do the whole, Oh yeah, I really like that guy. Um, you know, cause people love to say that after guys come from out of nowhere and have these monster years, he was a guy that I liked, but I just, I, I did the whole, well, 
if he was that good. Like, I know Denver's edge rushers are really good. But I thought, ah, Denver would have found a way to get him more reps if he was that good. I guess, you know, I guess what I'm, no, I didn't think in a million years he'd be as good as he was. But I thought, oh, could yeah. he be a sneaky sort of a guy you can sign as a free agent who might get you 8 to 10, 8 to 12 sacks. Um, but then you just saw his, his opportunity, like Denver just wasn't giving him the reps. And I thought, ah, maybe he's just benefiting from having Von Miller on the other side when he does play well. Maybe I'm overrating him. So he's a guy that I, I kind of liked, but, it, you know, a lot of times I'll defer and say, well, the, clearly the the team must know better than I do because they see him every day and they're not playing him. Um, but, uh, yeah, he obviously that would have been a nice get. But then there, there's also that risk of, you know, big paying big money for a guy who's had one big season. Um, we've You know, we've seen that blow up enough times in the Jets' faces and, and, and other teams. So, um, but, yeah, I agree at linebacker. Get to Marcus Lawrence. He he got paid nearly twenty million a year, and he had an absolute horrific year as far as sack totals were, were concerned. So, yeah, sometimes yeah, and, and, and when you get that kind of money, you know, in I, your face. yeah, you know, I, I say all the time, and, and you hear it all the time. You know, sacks aren't everything. You got to get pressures. You got to get this, that, and the other thing. But but really, when you're getting that kind of money, it, it is about you have to generate some hits, some some hits not just the hits on the quarterback, but you have, you have to bring the quarterback down. And, and you know, like Leonard Williams is the perfect example. He's a guy who's going to want big money, but at the negotiating table, when, when you know, the team's looking at you saying, dude, you had one sack last year. You want, you know, $12, 13000000 million for a sack? Um, I don't know that run support justifies that. So we'll, we'll see how that, how that plays out. But uh, and another name, a guy who – from PFF. And I know you're a big PFF guy. He says that that's one of the worst ways to evaluate a player just by that selective stat, because he can do other things that are disruptive or that are creating problems for offenses. Um, you know, and it's just not always about that that statistical category. Like you know, there's other players interior that are doing just as much disruptive things, but they're not getting those that sack total so people think that you know they're disappearing in games so that can yeah, you I, know I don't know if it, people I don't know if it's a, a a mental thing but I mean you see it all the time you you rarely see guys who don't get to the quarterback they don't get the big like you know you know we were just talking about you know guys like Angikwe who, who who's going to get he's probably going to get 15 16 17 million a year and Chris Jones is probably going to get in the neighborhood of 20 million a year and Leonard Williams is going to get nowhere near that. I, I don't think. I don't think he gets more than twelve million, which is still a lot for a guy who gets one sack. Um, but yeah. it's because they're, and that, that's why I've defended Leonard Williams for years, saying he's he's not been as good as we thought he would had would have been with the Jets. But he's still a good player. He still does things that impact the game. But uh, the, the co- coaches, owners, fans, when the sack numbers aren't there, they just kind of look at you and go, "Hey, you're not you're not closing the deal." So uh, that's why instead of you – know, and that's that's tough for Leonard Williams. Like you get 35, 40 hits on the quarterback, and if if maybe – if of those – even if you say 30, of those 30, if on six of them you were a half a step quicker, then no one's complaining about giving you 17, 18 million a year. But because you were that half step too slow, it – you know, that's, that's when you get knocked down at the negotiating table. So we'll see how it plays out for him, but – but another another guy, another linebacker who I, I liked coming out, 
and uh, he had himself a really nice year last year. I don't think he leaves Pittsburgh as Bud Dupree. Um, another big name, a guy who can do a few different things for you. I think he's going to get uh, another. He's going to be another one of these huge contract guys. I was hoping he'd be one of those guys who who played well, like well enough to justify signing, but not so well that he would blow up. And uh, he's another guy. Sport Track has him down at right around seventeen million. Um, sixteen six is what they're estimating. So he's somebody I would have no issue bringing him in. But I think you're right, and you know the Jordan Jenkins thing. I, I've kind of flip flopped. I'm I'm sort of with Jordan Jenkins where I am. I'm I'm just neutral. If they let him walk, I'm fine with it. If they bring him back, I'm fine with it. Like, I understand because it's it's hard to find guys at that spot that you're going to have to overpay a little. But then it comes down to would I rather pay Jordan Jenkins in the neighborhood of $10 million, or would I rather pay, you know, uh, a, a lesser known? I mean, because you, if you're getting a name guy, like I said, if you're getting a Dupree, if you're getting a, a, a Chris Jones, if you're you're in that 15 to $20 million range. Um, or do you try to find the next diamond in the rough? You know, let, let's see if we can find a, a, a guy who hasn't played as much as maybe we think he should have and who we think can be as good or better than Jordan Jenkins, and maybe we can get that guy for $6 million. Um, I don't know. I don't know. None of us know where the Jets stand on that. But, again, that's what's going to be fun about this first, this first go-around for Joe Douglas is we're going to find out just how much he believes he can do and the the other thing that and we'll talk about I wanted to discuss uh the, the 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 gaze factor with free agency and I think that's that's a big thing uh that's going to that's going to we're going to find out a lot more about gaze um through through the free agency process but let's let's move on to the secondary um in terms of free agents at at safety I mean honestly um unless they're looking to to deal Jamal Adams, which is, you know, seems to be, uh, depending on, there are a lot of opinions there. Some people still seem to think it's a possibility because they may not want to pay a safety 15 million. I've, I've said all along from after the, the disaster last year, the deadline that they may look to move him. But then there's also the part of me that's like, man, you just don't trade players that are that good. You don't, that's not, you don't win football games by saying, Hey, we finally have an all pro let's trade him. Um, not, not the, not the, not the best approach in my opinion, but, um, well, here's the philosophy, right? We want to compile picks so that we throw enough things on the wall to see what sticks so that we get more potential all pro or pro bowl caliber players. Well, the odds of finding another Jamal Adams or finding more pro bowl players with an additional second, third, fourth round, whatever, the deal is that you have made up in your head. Um, it's just probably not as likely. And we should all be thankful that we got somebody that was an absolute home run. Um, and to label him just strictly as a safety at this point is almost kind of uh, discrediting what he does collectively as a defensive player. The fact well, that's that the Jamal thing. I mean, he... come into the box and be a linebacker, uh, give you edge presence as a pass rusher, and then you can kind of use them as a money backer and, and cover, you know, slot receivers, tight ends, and, and then he can even play single high or in a two-safety set. When you have somebody that you can interchange and move around like that, I don't think it would be a, you know, a lucrative plan to try to replace that with lesser talent. So um, I don't think there is talent that you can replace Jamal Adams with currently. So yeah, uh, I, I think that's kind of how I feel about it. <laughs> 
I, I think the only way they move him is if, again, if, if it's the Cowboys calling again, and if the Jets say, look, we need, we need a one, we need a three, and we need a starting O-lineman. Like, because then you're getting a starting O-lineman without having to use a pick on one, and you're removing the bust factor, the, the, the potential of drafting someone who ends up being not any good anyway. Um, and then you can say, well, we, we, we've taken away the, the, the risk of getting a bust. We've added a starting O-lineman. We've added another first and a third, so we've got two premium picks. And we, we kind of feel like Jamal Adams, all pro, is he worth giving up if you're going to get, you know, again, if the Jets envision being able to use the one and the three in their minds, and if they feel confident enough, they're going to get a starting player with each one. And they say, we, we don't think Jamal is worth three starters. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying that's the position I hope they take. I'm just saying that's, that's the only way I can see making a deal is if you're saying we're getting a, a definite starter uh, on the O-line because the Cowboys have some good O-linemen. Um, and, and we feel like we can get two more starters. And if we feel like we can get, let's say, uh, two, let's say they use that one on the O-line again, they say, look, our O-line's a disaster. Uh, two starting offensive linemen and then a starting whatever with that third is just as important as, as what Jamal does. Um, and again, this isn't what I'm saying they are thinking or should be thinking, but th- that's the only way I can see them making a move is if they know they're getting a guaranteed bona fide starter um, and at least a couple of premium picks. But I think at this point you have to assume the Jets are going to they're, they're gonna take the phone calls again. What happens beyond that, we have no idea. But in free agency, I think Alex, and this is the position I was I most looking forward to getting to. Um, free agency, I can't see the Jets doing more than depth at safety. But when it comes to corner, Alex, there are some pretty good ones out there. Um, not great, but significant upgrades for what the Jets have to work with. Let's put it that way. And um, how do you feel overall about the corner position I, um, in free agency? I, I think there are some decent players to be had. And um, I think this is where the Jets have the best chance to to fix their to to upgrade their defense at corner. You've got Chris Harris, you've got Logan Ryan, you've got Bradley Roby. Who, who are you looking at that you like that you would make a run at? Uh, my top two uh, targets that I think the Jets should come away with here. Uh, one guy is James Bradbury uh, from Carolina. He's about 27 years old. Um, he had himself a pretty decent year. I think that with his style of play, because uh, Carolina runs a lot of zone, um, which we know that that was uh, something that Greg Williams did a lot this year, I think that he would be a good mold for us. And another younger player from Kansas City, um, if they were smart, they'd probably hold on to him. But he's 25 years old. Um, he's just collectively gotten better and better each year, and that's Kendall Fuller. Um, from Kansas City, former Virginia Tech defensive back. Uh, those would be my top two targets. I think you have to um, come away with one of those guys. Um, and on top of that, I, I think what you do is you uh, you bring back uh, Brian Poole as well. I think that having at least one decent signing to match up with maybe a Bless Austin or an Arthur Millett, um you know, who knows what they're going to do with Tremaine Johnson at this point. Um, I know that everybody wants him out. 
Um, the, the dead cap money could really, really hinder that as far as what the Jets want to do in other positions with, you know, throwing money away here. So it would be really interesting to see what happens with, with Tremaine Johnson. But if you do end up having him as a guy that's in the mix with the rotation, um, I wouldn't hate the fact that he would be our, like, number three or number four in our death chart as much as the contract sucks. Um, but I feel like bringing back Poole, if you can, uh, you know, maybe find a, a $30 million deal for, like, four years, which would probably be somewhere right around, like, 6 to $7 million per year with some bonus money and, you know, you kind of finagle that a little bit so it's not too much on the cap. Um, you know, Brian Poole definitely had a really good season this year. I don't think he warrants a double-digit contract. Um, and if he was smart, I think that, you know, he would find a way to make this. And Joe Douglas was smart. I think they'd figure out a way to keep Brian Poole in-house and then either go for a guy like Bradbury or Fuller. And, you know, to be honest with you, any of the other guys that you had mentioned, um, I would be more than comfortable with as well. Um, out of all the positions in free agency, uh, it really seems like cornerback is the most abundant. Um, you know, I would even uh, be fine with an Artie Burns from Pittsburgh. You know, he's about 25 years old, right in that prime window. That's what the Jets really need to do here. Um, I kind of see him in the same way that I saw uh, Logan Ryan a couple of years ago, and that's somebody that I wanted the Jets to get. Um, before they went in, they grabbed Tremaine Johnson, and, and he's played really well in Tennessee. Now he's about 29 years old, so, you know, if the money was right, I, I could even settle for a Logan Ryan, but you're still talking about a 29-year-old guy that only has a couple of years left. So I'd be looking for a mid-20-year-old guy. It's kind of been my theme. Get the youth. Get somebody here that will be here for a few years um, and, and, and obviously give us some strong play on the outside. Because with better coverage, that means more sacks for the guys up front, and you don't have to spend as much money on the edge position if you have a solid secondary that's just blanketing guys and, and taking away options from the quarterback. That's when the quarterbacks get in trouble, um, and that's where the sacks come out. So um, I think the best way for the Jets to, to find more sacks this year may be at a different position, getting stronger in the secondary. Now, what? possibility, Alex, one name I didn't hear you mention that just interesting guy because I, I thought he was going to be a better player than he has been, but he has at times looked pretty good. Um, and that's, he's, again, he's due to be a free agent. That's uh, Kendall Fuller. What, what, what are your thoughts there in terms of, uh, you know, being a guy who can, who can play corner? He struggled a little bit. I, my understanding is he played a little bit of safety because he struggled at corner, but he was a highly touted guy only in his fourth year. Do you, do you bring him in and say, hey, let's see if let's see if we can sort of rejuvenate his career with Greg Williams, get him back on the right track, um, even, even as a depth guy? Um, is he somebody you would bring in to look at? Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, you know, he's 24 years old. Um, like you said, um, he's kind of been up and down uh, with the last couple of years. Um, he's only had, I think, one full season under his belt. So it looks like he's had a little bit of the injury bug. Um, not the, the stats don't jump off the page, but you know, sometimes the reason why the, the interceptions aren't really showing is because he's doing his job and quarterbacks are not throwing your way. Um, and I'd be absolutely fine with a guy like Fuller uh, for sure. Uh, and he may, you know, another guy that's a little bit older, 
um, that may warrant just a little bit more money. Um, a guy like Byron Jones, too, uh, somebody that also has versatility um, and experience playing as a safety and um, outside as a corner as well. Um, I'd be more than comfortable with a player like Byron Jones as well. And, and another guy I would look at who, who's not uh, who's not that old is, is Kevin Johnson with the Bills, who has you know looked like a pretty solid cover guy at times. But we'll see. And Poole we've talked about quite a bit this offseason. Uh, I think he's a guy that most Jets fans like to see back. He did do a, you know, all around did a good job uh, in the slot for gangrene this year. So we'll see what the Jets do with internal free agents, what they do with the external guys. Um, we, we've you got think about Joe 10 minutes. Douglas goes after one of his old Philly guys, like somebody like well, a uh, Ronald Darby? Well, I wondered that, but really, you know, everything I, I read about the Eagles this year, was that that secondary was just really a disappointment. Like that, we talked before the season how deep it was, and Joe Douglas should be making looking to make a trade with the Eagles because they had so many good young corners, and they just they they didn't play nearly as well as people thought. So, but again, when, when you believe in your guy, when you believe in your d- defensive coordinator, if Joe Douglas thinks that Greg Williams can get the most out of these guys, then absolutely, I think uh, I think he'll look at Baltimore, and I think he'll look you know some of the guys who were there when he was there. Some of the guys who were drafted when he was there, I think you look at some of the some of the players of Philly. So absolutely, you know, guys they love players that sort of are their guys. If, if Joe Douglas, you know, again we don't know how involved he was with each individual player, but if there's a pending free agent that Joe Douglas says, "Oh man, that's the guy that I vouched for in the war room. That's the guy I wanted, and I think he can be even better than he's been." Absolutely, I think you make that move. But um, the thing that the thing that's on my mind lately, Alex. In, uh, in thinking about the Jets situation, um, and this, is, this isn't based purely on my, my, my belief that Adam Gase won't be a good head coach. Um, it's based on what we heard about Adam Gase when he came from the Dolphins, from former players. Um, you know, as we, as we know, you know, uh, Frank Gore, consummate professional, didn't really like the guy. We've seen his former players speak out against him. We've seen it's when he left. We've seen former players who I forget somebody tweeted to Ryan Tannehill the other day or a couple of weeks ago. You know, great job. You couldn't have succeeded in the last situation. It was too toxic. You know, that, of course, being Adam Gaze, it's the only situation he was in prior to this. So a lot of former players have gone on the record against Gaze, have sort of behind the scenes spoken out against Gaze. Gaze does come across, whether you like him or not, I don't know that you could argue that he comes across as a sort of, as I've said, he kind of acts like Bill Belichick, except he doesn't have the rings. Like, Bill Belichick can treat his players like they're parts of a machine, because essentially that's what they are. But players will put up with it because he's got six Super Bowl rings as a head coach. Um, whereas Adam Gase doesn't have a playoff win yet, and uh, you get the feeling that he treats it, you know, the, the, he, you know, the, the fact that the, the trainer's room is, is two seconds from his office, and he's no, I don't, I don't visit injured guys. If you're hurt, I don't talk to you. You know, very sort of high and mighty. And I, I'm curious to see, and I hope I'm wrong, but I worry that come free agency, like this could be a thing that hurts the Jets because teams, and I hate to get, we should actually probably talk about this next week because we're down to 10 minutes. But, um, but basically I, I worry because it's funny thinking of Frank Gore, because I'd said that Gase reminded me kind of Chip Kelly initially. Chip Kelly was hated in Philly in the locker room because he was so impersonal and didn't interact with his players. And I don't know if you remember this, Alex, I remember it well, because this happened while I was living in Philly. The day free agency started, the, the, the tampering period, and all the names start flying, 
And one of the first names you heard on the radio in Philly was Frank Gore had agreed to terms with the Eagles. And he was going to be an Eagle, and everybody's excited. And I want to say, like, that same night, like, within hours, it came back. Gore had spoken to someone in the Eagles' locker room and was backing out of the deal and went and signed with the Colts. And was like, yo, all and basically Gore never public commented publicly, but the story in Philly became, and it, it may have been Shady McCoy actually, who may have been out of town by then, but knew Gore, and said, look, this is how this guy's going to treat you, um, yeah. and and the money was was equal. So basically, we'll find out if the Jets are going to have to blow guys out of the water, you know, like it, if we see guys who are expected to get twelve million and the Jets are giving them seventeen, um, or if guys are choosing to go elsewhere. Uh, you know, is it is it an issue where they're looking at the way Adam Gase treats his players, saying, you know, I don't talk to guys when they're hurt, and, and majority of the time it comes down to money. Like I'm not an idiot. I, I know that, that, that these guys want to make money, but if you're a free agent and the Jets are offering you 8.5, and someone else is offering you 8.3, you go, you know what? For that 200k, uh, you know, Pete Carroll has a reputation of treating his players right, whereas Adam Gase doesn't. Um. Is that going to be an issue? And, and do you worry about that? Even you know, I, again, we're on different sides of the the, the gay spectrum here. But but do you worry that Gase's demeanor and his history um, with players and the way players have spoken about him and the way he has spoken about players does it worry you that he might he might make it a little bit tougher to bring free agents in? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know that people talk for reasons. Um, because there's there's definitely plenty of conversations that um, happen within back rooms and you know between media guys and and that's why all this stuff comes to to the surface here. Um, and if you're deciding between a team that you know was in a wild card position or you know fighting for a playoff spot last year, and then you're looking at the Jets who kind of you know been a disaster year after year, um, that might be an easier decision to take less money and go elsewhere. Let's just look at Anthony Barr. Um, there's a perfect example of it. Um, he came to terms with us, apparently felt uh, extremely dramatically ill afterwards, and then backed out of the deal come that following morning and, and took a, apparently less money to go and stay in Minnesota. So that was definitely probably going to have some sort of um, leverage uh, for particular players. Um, obviously, if the Jets are putting out crazy contracts and big money um you know guys that are not in for the lombardi trophy or the glory of the game and are just looking to make money um will obviously sign here um but maybe guys that are looking to go to teams that are ready to take it to that next level um i believe it was jadavion Clowney who said right after the game in seattle when they lost what are your situation for next year um he said he doesn't want to play for some sorry team he wants to play with for a contender so I can't see Clowney um, not going to a team that either is playoff bound or has been into the playoffs, uh, you know, consistently. Um, otherwise, you know, he'll probably go back on his word if someone's crazy enough on a low-level team, you know, to pay him $17, 18000000 million. Maybe then he'll go play for a 4-12 and team. But, um, you know, it really depends on the personality of that individual, I would say. And, uh it might make uh, you know contract negotiations a little bit harder this this year for us. Yeah, and that's that, that's going to be uh, that'll be an interesting thing to see, and I think that'll that'll go 
you know, on any sort of behind the scenes kind of way, I think will play a role in the likelihood of Adam Gase being retained. You know, there's no point obviously getting into what has to happen next year for him to save his job. We have no idea who they're going to add, what upgrades they're going to make. But, um, but listen, if Chris Johnson is behind the scenes and he sees guys, you know, backing out and taking similar money to go elsewhere, because for years the excuse was, well, the Jets quarterback situation is a mess. It's always a mess. And that's why nobody wants to play here. Well, that's no longer the case. The quarterback situation, uh, you know, is more settled now probably than it's ever been. You know, even even when they were winning playoff games at Sanchez, they were kind of doing it despite him. So it, it, you didn't feel like he was a guy who could elevate a team. I don't know if you saw, I don't know if you saw that the other day, actually, Alex. That was a it made me smile. One of the one of the few things that this team has done recently, or one of the few things I've seen recently. Um, this was another PFF thing saying. Uh, Sam Donald was tied for first or second in the NFL with uh, 10, 10 touchdown passes while under pressure. Um, so mm-hmm. little things like that where, you know, the number of times we've seen Donald do something and you're like, that's why he was drafted where he was drafted. Um, so, yeah, the quarterback situation is settled. Um, despite the fact the offense finished 32nd in the NFL, that, you know, there were other circumstances involved there. But uh, th- that can't be the excuse anymore. You know, the, the GM can't look at the owner and say, listen, Mr. Johnson, uh, this guy, this guy, this guy, they all went elsewhere. But look, look with their situations. They've, they've all got settled, you know, positive quarterback rooms. We don't have that. The Jets can't say that anymore. So if you're Chris Johnson and you're sitting there and you, you know Adam Gase's reputation with the players, even if you're not willing to admit it publicly, um, but you know the media has asked you about it, you know you've seen it elsewhere. And if you start seeing players that you need to add, because, you know, you better believe, you know, Chris Johnson knows exactly, you know, what what his GM, what his head coach is telling him. You know, here are the guys we would like to target. You know, here are our top ten priorities. And if nine of those guys take similar or less money to go elsewhere, um, he's going to start looking and saying, well, why don't they want my money? You know, we've got the quarterback. We've got a big market. The money was similar, same, better, whatever. And they're all walking away. What do we have that they don't? Oh well, we have Adam Gase, and um, and again, he he's not a personable guy, and that that's not even really a knock on him. I, I mean, I'm not, I've I've been a fan long enough to know that Bill Belichick's way is not not foreign. Like a lot of a lot of coaches just view these guys as this is a machine, and you guys are the parts. And when the part doesn't work anymore, or the part doesn't fit, we're gonna throw you away. But some coaches can get away with it. Because they've got the re- they've got the resume, they've got the results. Um, but when you're a head coach with a losing record um, and and a reputation around the league as someone that doesn't really uh, value his players as people, I think that was I think that was that was kind of at the heart of what Jamal Adams said after the the big trade deadline blow up. You know, he went out of his way to say, "I like Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson, you know, respects me as a person. He views me as a person." And he just kind of kept. He said it two, three, four times. Jamal Adams just Jamal Adams just kept saying the importance of being respected as a person, um, and kept saying Chris Johnson does that. He didn't say Joe Douglas does it. He didn't say Adam Gase does it. Um, but you know, of course, they talked, and he came out and saying everybody's happy. Whether or not that's true, we'll see. But as it stands, uh, Senior Bowl in a couple of days, Alex. So we will have plenty to talk about with that. And at some point, we will get into some mock drafts, some fake, some mocks that uh, 
But as I said before, we don't go over the top. We'll do probably two or three between now and the actual draft. We're not going to do this uh, mock draft version 14.0. There's, you know, no point in the mock every weekend. <laughs> but uh, but that's it for us this week. Alex, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me. As always, glad we were able to get this uh, technical dif- difficulties figured out after a couple minutes. But go ahead and uh, give out the Twitter handle and uh, and and have a great night, Alex. Yes, indeed. It's uh, always been a pleasure. Um, and Jets fans, you can follow me at NYJetsLife24. And uh, looking forward to next week's show. Have a good week, everyone. All right, Jets fans, that's it for us. And we will indeed catch you next week. And we will uh, we'll talk some, uh, some Senior Bowl and, and some Jets prospects. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!